Hi, uh, welcome to the Young Anglicans podcast. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, I'm one of your hosts. My name is Andrew Unger. I'm a youth pastor out of Wheaton, Illinois. And I'm Eric Overholt. I'm a youth pastor out in Los Angeles. And uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about um, how Anglican we are. We're going to try and prove ourselves to be more Anglican than the other, because that's what Anglicanism is all about, is that you do more things than everybody else does. Um, we'll maybe talk about Holy Week and uh, openly lament some of our, our sins and transgressions. But um, first off, there's when I first started in youth ministry, one of the qualifications for the position that I had is that I'd make uh, a youth ministry that was uniquely Anglican. Um, they, they were just hiring a, their first youth pastor at, at All Souls here, um, and they wanted a uniquely Anglican youth ministry. And I had no idea what that meant, and I don't think the search committee knew what that meant either. I think they just kind of wanted it as a value. But it sounds so cool, man. Yeah. I, it so, sounds so cool. So I guess maybe even before we talk about our own ministries, what do you think a uniquely Anglican youth ministry would do in a perfect world? What does an Anglican youth ministry look like? You're going to put me on the spot first. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give a shout out to Will Chester, who is the youth pastor at Church of the Resurrection, also there in Wheaton. And um, I remember, I, I don't know Will well. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting to know him better. But um, one of the things I appreciate, I've appreciated about being with him is how much he talks about three streams, Anglicanism. So yeah. the idea being, being word, spirit, and sacrament. And uh, he, he keeps talking about wanting to blend these three, three things together. To me, that feels uniquely Anglican, uh, especially because of the, the sacramental aspect of things. Yeah. Um, but, but so, so I think for me, uh, there would be a heavy emphasis on, on that. So, um, yeah, we preach the word. Um, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and he's revealed to us in the scriptures and God's salvation plan for us is revealed to us in scripture. And we're going to, that, that's our, our, that's the message, yeah. um, that that message comes to us in our hearts and minds, uh, through the work of the spirit, uh, and the spirit's manifestations in, in us and in our community and in our world. Um, and that that work is in part accomplished by the graces that come to us through the sacraments. Um, and, and I'll, I'll admit that to me, that's, it's the sacramental life that can be in some ways the hardest thing to bring into a youth ministry. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you feel that way, but that's certainly something that's on my heart right now of, I really wish I had more of a sacrament, more of a sacramental I don't know what I'm trying to say, but more of the sacraments in my youth ministry. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's the thing that would make an Anglican youth ministry different than a sort of evangelical youth ministry or other, because youth ministry is a is a thing that exists more frequently in charismatic and evangelical circles. It's not right. as popular in more um, Catholic or liturgical circles, um, and there are lots of historic reasons for that, but. Um, yeah, it's the thing that, that is most distinct and strangest in some ways. I'll bet I'll bet if you went to like Fort Worth or one of these dioceses that had um, 
a greater Anglo-Catholic presence, I'll bet those kids have an easier time being sacramental. Like if you grew up mm -hmm. and like benediction of the blessed sacrament was part of your church's life, right? Like where, where you're having a service in which you're thanking God and worshiping him through the, through Jesus's presence in the bread and the wine, as we can see them right now. Um, I think if you had that experience as a church, it would be easier for the youth to be like, yeah, this is a thing we do. We care about the sacrament. Um, we are not that high church at all souls. And so, yeah, I have a hard time bringing the sacraments in. Um, we do have, like on our mission trip, we do communion. So I think that fits. I think it's an easy way to include the sacramental things. If you have a priest handy, you can do um, Eucharistic services on retreats and things like that. Right, um, right. I remember one time when I was a deacon, we wanted to do that on a retreat, but we weren't going to have a priest present. And so um, my rector and I did the thing that, you know, you're never really supposed to do. We had like a private mass, like he and I stood at the altar in our church because we had no reserved <laughs> sacrament at that point. Right. And we like read a sermon from the book of homilies, like cause oh, there had to be a sermon because he's reformed <laughs> enough that like he, there has to be the word there. But we did like a full thing right there. So it could be proper, so we could have reserve sacrament that we could use on the retreat, um, which was a little bit spooky, but, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, it's the kind of thing that we, we care about this stuff. And so, um, yeah, but what a beautiful expression of our ecclesiology. Like, yeah. no, we believe that what, that, that there's something that happens in the consecration of those elements. Yeah. It's a mystery. We don't understand it. I, I don't want to get into that, but, but we believe something happens yeah. in the midst of that. Um, that that we can't just you know throw some wafers and some wine in in a in a box and say okay you're all, you're good to go you yeah. know and I, I love think, that I think even telling the students like this is a thing that we do and you could say like hey be careful with those things as we unpack the van when we get to the retreat center because that's where the communion elements are and they always ask like facetious questions right like they're like well what if we drop this what would we have to do they kind of want to know the rules about like yeah. but wait a minute what if you had to do that wait a minute, Andrew, like, what if this happened instead? Like, what if I poured it out? What if it got spilled on my shirt? And you say, well, you have to yeah. burn your shirt then. Um, that, <laughs> or bury it. Or bury it. These are your <laughs> options. Feed it to wildlife, I think, is an option. Um, the, <laughs> that happened at the provincial youth gathering after we had all that, um, when Bishop Ruck did his sort of like healing prayer thing with water, with holy water or water that was blessed. Uh -huh. Afterwards, right. we were all done and we had all this water and like I had to like collect it all and like walk out of the building so we could pour it back to the ground. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in the same way that when I do liturgies with my students and I say like, here's the way we're going to do it and we're going to mess up, like don't be uptight about it, but like, let's try and do this right. I think there's something beautiful about introducing them to like, yeah, this is a thing we do and we feel you might feel kind of silly that we're taking this outside and pouring it to the ground and following these rules. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason we follow these rules because these things mean something. And it's not, and this is a bit of my low churchness coming out. It's not so much that like you're going to get shocked dead if you do this wrong, or if right, for some reason right. we did it wrong, God's going to be like really mad at us. But uh -huh. we don't just approach this lightly. We don't just, you know, do whatever we want with these things. And I think. I think they end up appreciating that. I think they like knowing that there are some rules, that there are, that there's some structure here and we don't yeah. just do church on the fly. Yeah. But there's a, there's a deep longstanding meaning to all this. Right. Well, okay. So I, 
I'm going to tell a story about provincial youth gathering as well. Well, the, it's the provincial gathering in general. And so after the final communion, which was on Friday morning or whatever, they consecrated all this bread and wine and everybody got communion and was gone. But I, I guess there was like way fewer people at this final communion than mm-hmm. they were expecting because I just happened to be walking out at, past this one side of the, of the sanctuary there. And there's this whole huge row with all these baskets filled with bread. I mean, it was literally like after the feeding of the 5,000 yeah. <laughs> and, and the, the disciples are going, they have 12 baskets full of bread. And that's what it looked like. Yeah. And there were all these chalices like full of wine and these deacons there who are just like eating this bread. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, you guys are going to be here all day. Yeah. And they, they looked at me and they were like, they were like, yeah, like, like at the same time, they're like, this is a responsibility we have to the church yep. to, you know, consume all this sacrament. But also they're like, this is going to be awful because this is so much bread and so much wine. And so I said, so they, like, they said to me, they invited me to like, would you like to help a little? Yeah. So I, I stood there for, you know, five minutes or whatever, just like, you know, chowing, chowing down, down yeah. on Jesus, uh, which was great. But at the same time, I was like, this is, this is like, it, it was barely a dent. I'm serious. It was so much bread and so much wine. It was insane. So as I was walking out, everyone I saw, I was like, hey, you got to go in there and help them because these guys aren't going to make it. They've got so much to do. But I was also thinking, man, at some point you just need to go dig a hole and bury this stuff because this is just too much. So I don't know what they did, but I can't imagine that those, you know, four or five deacons or priests or whatever they were just stood there and ate all of it because it was so much. But, (laughs) But that's a good example again of. We take this seriously. That yeah. This is meaningful for us. And that, that's part of who we are as Anglicans. Yeah. And I would love for my kids to understand that. Um, and and I, I, don't, I, I haven't had any space to do that as of yet, but I'd love to. Last night, I, was, uh, I had my students at, at our sort of weekly youth group gathering, um, sort of gathering groups and answer the question, what is a Christian? Like you have to explain Christianity to someone out of the blue. What are the things you want to make sure get mentioned? And so we were talking about that, and it naturally went to this. Um, both of the groups, I think, got in this place where they were trying to figure out if they could decipher whether or not somebody else was a Christian. Like, how do you determine, like, if someone actually counts or not? Um, and a little bit of are, my disappointment. Are they in the club or not? Yeah, like, okay, <laughs> but if someone actually doesn't do anything, you know, the, the, this faith and works issue. Um but what none of them brought up and what I'm going to now find a night to talk about is like the New Testament talks about it in terms of baptism. Like it doesn't, James will talk about faith and faith without works is dead. But when Paul talks about who is in and who is out, his, his thing is baptism. Um, and I think there's that mystery that I hope our students get about like belonging because I've been baptized. Like I've been baptized. I am a part of this the family of faith, um, which is bigger than me. And it's not actually about me having my personal faith in line. Although clearly that's important. We want to encourage our students to like take their own faith seriously. They get confirmed because they're making that decision. Right. But I think part of it is maybe because we're sacramental, having this corporate understanding, this push towards like, I've been baptized into this family. And so an Anglican youth ministry might make a big deal about um, the community of faith, the the collection of all who are baptized, who receive communion, who, irrespective of their own personal garbage, are the people who are gathered around Christ's table. I think 
I think that sacramental part can be really cool as well. Um, yeah, and I, that embodiedness to Anglican youth ministry hopefully makes a difference. Yeah, well, I, and that's, I was going to say, that's kind of what I appreciate about that too, is that what you're teaching the kids then too, is that this thing that we do where we gather together and we break bread and we drink wine and sometimes we baptize people. Like mm -hmm. this isn't just, it's not just optional. It's not just something we do because it's nice. No, it's, it's at the center of our life in Christ. And yeah. that, that's why we do this thing. And I, I'm thinking about all of my students who are seniors in high school, who I'm like trying to figure out a way to explain to them church matters yeah. and having a church community is really important. And you're going to, you're going to go away and you're going to get to college and, like, how do, how do I express to them, yeah, this is something that would be really, really good for you to seek out on your own. Um, yeah. And I, that, that's, that's a good tangible, like, something you can hold on to as to why we should do this. Yeah. I, so I'm working with um, Steve and Ty and Don Shepson, uh, eventual future guests of the show. Um, yes. We assume. Um, you hear that, guys? <laughs> you guys are going to be on. So we're working on, on this resource about... Um, Anglican youth ministry and, and it's sort of like here's all these Anglican distinctives and how they can be used in youth ministry um, and I really think what made me think of this is intergenerational is a big buzzword for mm. churches for ministries as sort of connecting youth with adults a lot of the sticky faith stuff has to do yep. with connections between students and adults and their involvement in corporate worship and I really think one of the strengths of Anglicanism is is that Eucharistic meal that most of us do every single week to say like when you come forward you come forward with everybody else in the church that you and your grandparents and your parents and the and you know your brothers and sisters in Christ all come together and all receive this at the same time yeah. um, I think that's powerful and so hopefully again hopefully an Anglican youth ministry when I think about it in an ideal form um, talks about and mentions and can like help them see and explain the thing that they experience every week, which is you are part of a bigger body. Um, mm -hmm. Whether or not my students tend to sit with their parents still, we don't have some of the youth sit together, but they still sit with parents. But even if they all sat together as a youth group, um, the sense that like you guys are going forward with everybody else. Right. Um, right. I think that's one of the things that Anglicanism offers as a unique way to do something that everybody else realizes is good. Yeah, that that makes me think of a, a young man I was I was speaking to who's a, a youth pastor. Um we got connected. He's he's not Anglican. We got connected through this other other thing and I was talking to him about, you know, what's your youth ministry look like? And he's like, well, really all we're doing right now is we do our own thing on Sunday mornings and the, the adults are all over there and the kids come over there and I preach my own sermon and we have our own service mm -hmm. and all this kind of thing. And um I, it, it was hard for me to to have a conversation with him about, you know, commonalities in our youth group because my youth group would just never do that. We yeah. wouldn't do that, not because we think they're awful and, and, you know, that's the worst thing you could possibly do, but just because our ecclesiology uh, was so different. Yeah. Like what we think of as the body of Christ and where youth and adults and children and uh, senior adults, where all everybody fits into that was just so different. Yeah. It was hard for me. It was hard to have a conversation about that because my my first thing, my first reaction to that was, wow, I don't that 
is there a way for you to separate that and get your your students in with the adults some and get them mixing at you know but I, I but I was owning the fact that yeah I, we would do that because we would all take communion and yeah. that would be stupid for the youth to have yeah. their own <laughs> communion service yeah so they're all going to come in and even if they had their own you know liturgy of the word yeah like when it comes time for the sacrament they're going to come in and they're going to receive the sacrament with the rest of us yeah um and that is i would say that is distinctly anglican and i think there's an advantage like in the service itself there are a lot of ways to get youth involved in the running of the the service i feel like if um if your upfront people um at a church without a sort of formal liturgy need to give announcements or give introductions or segues or things like that a lot of that requires a personality, requires you to be eloquent speaking, to be sort of charming. Um, and not a lot of adults have that gift. And so um, a lot of that, the upfront stuff can't be done by students, at least not well, at least not without sort of having a token moment where everyone's going like, oh, isn't it cute that the teenagers are doing this? Um, but we've started to have, um, like one of our youth is a reader so okay. like once every couple of weeks, she's going up forward in one of the services and doing one of the, the biblical readings, which is awesome. We yep. have acolytes for a while, um, sort of sixth through 11th grade. We sort uh -huh. of rope all of our kids into being acolytes, which is one cool part, but they're sort of uniquely acolytes. We've started to have the seniors be chalice bearers um, if they're interested in sort of like doing that next step, which mm -hmm. is super cool because then they yeah. get to be that that's sort of that transition year between youth and adulthood their senior year and then they can start to do the grown-up things um mm -hmm. a lot of times mm -hmm. youth will usher with their parents um right. little things like that there are all these roles in a liturgical service that youth can do just as well as any adult can do and mm -hmm. that makes it feel a little bit more intergenerational and it's the fact that we have the script that makes it so easy to plug people in right um, right even like on our on our youth retreats when we do evening prayer or things like that, I often try to make the students be leaders for that because you don't have to be ordained to lead evening prayer right. and right. all you have to do is be able to read. So right. I'll put the script in front of you. You don't have to pray anything magnificent other than what was already written for you. Right. You just read it out. Um, can I can I I want to play a little little bit of devil's advocate to, to what you're saying. Um about about the kids participating in Sunday morning mm -hmm. worship, and, and it's there's part of me I will admit that is dissatisfied with claiming that as our great intergenerational ministry, because mm -hmm. um, I, I and I say that because I know there's a lot of people in my own church who feel that way. Oh, isn't this great? We have the kids, you know, they're running sound and they're you know, changing the slides and they're being acolytes. And we have yeah. a, a young woman who's on the worship team and a, a, a reader. We, we don't have any chalice bears, but, and, and all that's great. I, I don't want to say that we should stop doing that. What I want to do is stop being satisfied and patting ourselves on the back for, uh, you know, our great intergenerational ministry that we have our young people doing that. Uh, and some of this is, is my own sort of frustrations with trying to get more adults involved in youth ministry, youth discipleship yeah. in my own church. And, and, I, and I, had a, I had several people who came to, to uh, the Engage training that we had here in Western Anglicans last week. And so I want to I thank God for that and thank God for them. And I think that's awesome. And that feels like a step 
in, in the direction that I would love to go as a church. But, but yeah, I, you know, it's great that all those things are happening, but what these kids need is when they're done being an acolyte or when they're done being on the worship team on Sunday morning to have an adult, have a conversation with them about what does it mean that you did this? And why is it important that you were a part of it? Like there to be a conversation about, about what's happening um, so that it's not just, it, it feels a little bit, I'll admit it feels a little bit in my church right now that the, the kids are just like, they just do a bunch of stuff, right? They're, yeah. they're just the grunt, you know, the laborers that do all these things that, so that the adults can come and just sit and have a nice time in the worship <laughs> service. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it would be easy to, these are all um, awesome inroads. That We've got yeah. the building blocks set to do great intergenerational stuff, but if we don't actually put the effort into really ministering to anybody, it won't do anything on its own. Um, in the same way that a lot of our beautiful sacramental things, um, while we acknowledge the reality of Christ's presence in them, if we never talk about them, if we never teach them, we lose something. If we if we just believe that we're three streams, that we're doing all these great things, but we never engage um, in, in teaching students about it and helping them understand what's going on, um, it's not that, it's not as useful as we'd like it to be. So... Yeah, you're right. If we just say, well, isn't it great that they're acolytes and readers, um, but we never build on that, um, the opportunity will have been lost. But I think we have all kinds of amazing opportunities because we have them as acolytes and as readers. I think those are great. They they provide us with more opportunities. Um, I don't want to stop doing those things. Don't misunderstand. I don't want to stop doing that. So So, I'll I'll turn turn the conversation around to you now and and ask you the same thing. So other than kind of the sacramental life that we've Mm -hmm. been talking about, um, what are some ways that, that, that to you, when you hear the idea of the Anglican way or distinctively Anglican youth ministry, what are the things that come to your mind? So I think, um, I think part of it is, uh, is the prayer book, um, or, some sort of liturgical function because our church uses common worship. There's really not a prayer book. It's like an entire liturgical library that we have access to. But, um, you know, so on Wednesday nights we do evening prayer and my students are used to that and they're used to doing that kind of stuff. I think they're used to, um, doing that on retreats. I think we try to take advantage of some of the contemplative resources that exist within the Anglican world. Um, part of the difficulty of defining something as Anglican is that word means a different thing to basically every Anglican there is. Like it's so broad. That's part of the three streams is that it's so broad. So I wrestle with sometimes how to tell them that something is Anglican because if they think that All Souls Wheaton is the only expression of Anglicanism, they'll be really confused. If they think that Church of the Savior, which is uh, the church we partner with in youth ministry, if those students think that's the only expression of Anglicanism, they'll be confused. Um, So part of it is figuring out how to do the things that I like about Anglicanism while keeping them open to a broader Anglican world um, and not, and not sort of like picking fights with the other types of Anglicans that are not as Anglican as we are. Um, You know, it's my, my churches attend to be, um, I think 
because of how we do what we do for a number of reasons, it's very tempting for us to be kind of Anglican snobs. I think yeah. being an Anglican in the Wheaton area full of like cultural evangelicalism gives us lots of opportunity to be like, oh, we're not like, we love the Bible, but we love the Bible better than all those Bible <laughs> churches do because we use it in our services. How many times are they reading scripture in their service? Um, you know, we have lots of opportunity to do that. And that's, you know, fun and self-serving and probably ultimately building vice in our souls and yeah. and hindering charity with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, let's um, just be honest. It's super destructive. It's, we just got to stop that right now. It's <laughs> it's bad, but so it's it's just like the junk food of the soul. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so part of it is, in my context, part of being Anglican is having them appreciate and love all the sort of um, culturally evangelical things that they're exposed to because of their friends and because of the because they go to Honey Rock, which is a, a camp that Wheaton College puts on. That's this amazing summer camp that takes away my students for most of the summer. Um, it's having them appreciate that while saying, yeah, here's these beautiful old things yeah. that we really love. And I think a lot of them, because they've grown up in it, really like it. Um, there's, I had lunch with a guy who graduated um, maybe five years ago. Um, he lives in Texas. He went to a school down there. Um, and he goes to a, a sort of big box evangelical church now um, and he misses things like the church here but i guess he he really went toe-to-toe with his small group on baptism um because they were basically really really denigrating people who baptize infants and here's this guy who was baptized as an infant and he's like all right, right. here's the deal this is what i believe about baptism this is why you're not going to baptize me again um yeah. which was awesome that to hear part of me was thrilled that he had his ability to articulate that um mm-hmm. i don't see if my students don't end up as Anglicans after they leave our church, um, I, I don't see that necessarily as a as a failure. I'm not one to mm-hmm. say like Anglicanism is the best expression of Christianity for everybody. Um, but for me, an Anglican youth ministry at least introduces them to these things that are valuable. So if they're outside of the Anglican tradition, maybe they'll long for Lent and Advent. Maybe they'll still f- practice Lent um, even if their church doesn't. Um, I think that's introducing them to these historic forms of Christianity that the Anglican church has and has in common with lots of other churches as well. Right. Like there are plenty of churches that do the church year and do all this kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. I'm okay if they're not Anglicans. Let's also be clear that, that there's a lot of evangelical churches that are discovering these new things like the church calendar yeah and you know things like like it's oh wow look at this new thing that i found that's been around (laughs) longer than the bible and things like that um (laughs) so i I wanted to go back a little bit and and ask one of the things that it seems to me you would have an advantage in this in some ways being there in wheaton Mm -hmm. um i i don't know a lot about all souls and or a lot about a church of the savior, I think is what you yeah, said is the other one. church that you partner with. But it, do you, ha- do you have a little bit of an advantage there in Wheaton in that you've got those two churches and you've got, you know, church of the resurrection mm-hmm. and you've got a few, uh, you've got several different flavors of Anglicanism kind of there. Yeah. And so I guess I would be curious, we don't have anything like that here in uh, that's that's not entirely true. Uh, All Saints Long Beach is is a bit more Anglo Catholic than okay. we are. We're relatively high church, but they're even more Anglo Catholic than we are. 
Um, but we, we just don't have a whole lot of Anglican churches, certainly nothing like, you know, resurrection or, right. or, um, anyway, but so I'm curious, would there be any space it, within your church from the people, from the parents that are a part of your church for you to take your kids to these different flavors of Anglican? Hey, okay. So this week we're going to go visit church of the resurrection and we're going to go to Sunday morning worship there yeah. instead of all souls. Uh, what would your parents do if you, if, you know, if you said that? It probably depends on the parent. Um, yeah. Some of them would be fine with it. I know, um, I remember we used to do, uh, when I first started, we do joint uh, retreats with families at Church of the Resurrection. And they're, they've got a big family-based ministry. Um, or their, their, their culture there is really family-based. And they actually had a problem with us doing retreats that would go through Sunday morning because those parents wanted their families to worship together. Like that was a value right. they had and that was really important for them. Um, mm. I don't have as many families like that at All Souls. Um, I don't think there are many at, at Savior either. Um, none of them care about their kids. They're like, ah, oh, worship wherever you want. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I think they would like that. And I think even Savior and All Souls have a very different feel. And so that helps, I think. Um, yeah, it would probably be valuable. It would probably be good. And then they might get a broader picture of Anglicanism. Um, there is a sense where it's like, you know, you judge people on the inside more harshly than you judge people on the outside. And it might be that like <laughs> Anglicans are tougher on other Anglicans than they are on non-Anglicans, right? Like if yeah. you go to a Lutheran right. service, like, well, those those poor Germans just don't know what they're doing. It's not their <laughs> fault. But those Anglicans, they should know better. They should know that Lancelot Andrews said this and, and whatever. And, you know, um, you know, Dix says this in shape of the liturgy and, and they should have done this and they did this wrong. I, I've, the, the, the harshest critiques I've heard from Anglicans have always been of other Anglicans. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe they would end up doing that. My students don't, I think, have enough of an explicit understanding of Anglicanism to say that's not Anglican enough. But I think a lot of them, maybe maybe 75% of my students um, have a hard time going to other types of churches once they've left um, for college because they've grown to love the church that they grew up in. Mm. Um, and so for them, actually in some ways it's a good thing. Like they've, they loved the tradition enough that they go somewhere else and they're like, ah, oh, I just like, I guess I'll go to another church or I won't go to church because I couldn't find anything like what I grew up with. Um, which is rough. And that's obviously, a. we'll get to, again, we're getting to open, open confessions and airing of our sins right, later. But, right. uh, that's a thing that I think, um, can be a problem with Anglican youth ministry is that a lot of Anglican churches in the ACNA are filled with, um, at least my read on it, evangelicals who came to Anglicanism yeah. um, and then who have that's fallen. That's been my experience. It's completely and 100% anecdotal, but that's been my experience. Sure. Um, and they have fallen in love with the liturgy. Or, I mean, maybe they're Episcopalians uh, or right. people who grew up in the Episcopal Church who love the liturgy so much that they they could not end up in any church other than an Anglican church. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, it's hard for these kids to grow up with parents who love the liturgy and churches that love the liturgy where then they have to figure out, you know, they'll go to college and there's no Anglican church there. Um, a plug for um, Campus Link, which is the the um, networking service that um, the Young Anglicans is partnering with to try and get people connected to find local um, churches near college campuses. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, basically, it's basically a website that you can log on to and you can find out 
uh, my kid's going to uh, Punxsutawney State University, and I want to find out what sort of, you know, ministries there are, Christian ministries there are around that campus or even on that campus, and you can you can find that out. And also, yeah. if you run a campus ministry, you can get connected with Campus Link to make sure that students that go there to, to find out about ministries on campus, um, you know, th- that they would find yours. Yeah. So just a plug for Campus Link. Uh, go to the Young Anglicans website. You can get more information there, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's part of it is, um, the, the challenge is figure out how to equip them to like even teaching them how to use a prayer book so that they could mm-hmm. do the offices on their own when they go mm-hmm. to college or, mm-hmm. um, do the offices. I mean, maybe if they're bold enough, do a morning and evening prayer with friends. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that when you were, when you were talking about Honey Rock, I was like, how cool would it be if all those students that go to Honey Rock, like, brought a bunch of prayer books or, or some printed out copies of, of morning or evening prayer or Compline or something. Yeah. And they started leading, uh, you know, one of those services at the end of the day at Honey Rock. That would like, that'd be so cool to hear that your kids were doing that. It'd be great. And there are, I wonder if some of that might be there because there's a lot of, um, Anglican priests that are affiliated with Honey Rock. So like mm. there's an Anglican priest who lives up there, uh, Jim Fosdick. He's actually our canon to the ordinary. Um, mm. he lives near Honey Rock in Northern Wisconsin. I feel like he, is sometimes at the camp in an official capacity. Um, Chip Edgar, who's a priest in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, is sometimes up there in Honey Rock because um, he has a history with the camp and with Wheaton College and things like that. So he's sometimes up there, I think, doing um, like giving chaplain talks or something like that. So I don't know, maybe maybe there's like a rebel underground of Anglicans doing doing secretive uh, morning right. and evening <laughs> prayer services. Um, but you know, let, let's be clear. To, to jump on to what, what you were saying a few minutes ago, let's be clear. Like my main concern, like my main concern is that when my students head off to college, that, that they follow Jesus and they yeah. keep seeking Jesus and they look for Jesus everywhere and they be Jesus. Every, like I'm, I'm so much more concerned about that than I am that they stick with Anglicanism. Now, personally, I'm a, a, a later arrival to Anglicanism. I came to it in college myself and mm-hmm. I think it's beautiful. And I, you know, there's all these reasons why I became Anglican. Yeah. And I, I think it is a great way to, to follow Jesus, a, yeah. a great, you know, s- structure system, you know, a way of following Jesus. And so I would love for them to, you know, embrace that the way I've embraced it. But man, <laughs> I'm, I'd way rather find out that they've gotten super plugged into their non-denominational, you know, church and they're serving the poor with their church and they're, yeah. you know, running an alpha program or whatever it is that they're doing, uh, uh, you know, it, it's as their own expression of, of their love for Jesus. I'd way rather hear that than to hear that, you know, uh, well, obviously that they're not following Jesus at all. Right. Um, so... Yeah. yeah. I, that said, I mean, I want to I want to introduce them to these things because I do think they're valuable and I do think they're helpful. And um, yeah, I'd love for them to be able to to lead an, a Compline or, or a morning yeah. prayer service on their own and um, have an appreciation for why we can't have the Eucharist unless the unless a priest is there. Yeah. Um, and, and things like that. Yeah. So, After having read. um James K.A. Smith's You Are What You Love. Like, I think there are objective reasons why liturgical churches form us differently than non-liturgical churches. In fact, mm. I- I'm convinced that's why um, 
mainline churches have continued a like no matter what their their theology has been about Jesus they've always maintained an appreciation for the necessity of the church to minister to the poor because i think when you include the minor prophets and the gospels so regularly in your sunday readings it's hard to avoid how clear and obvious scripture is about caring for the poor i mean it's just it's so present all the time every time you go to a minor prophet you're going to find out that god's mad at israel because they've allowed the oppression of the poor to continue um and so i just can't imagine i think that's why they've been continually shaped by that because they keep on being shaped by the those readings they've been continually shaped by um those texts i think they those practices do something and so i do want I do want to figure out a way to tell my students, hey, there are good reasons for you to keep on doing these forms and structures because they do shape you in a way that um, that other practices, that other ways of doing this um, don't. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that book that you mentioned, mentioned by James K. Smith, it's on my it's on my reading list. Um, I've heard a lot about it. I haven't read it, but um, had some discussions about about it with one of my colleagues, uh, who's our worship pastor and a and parish administrator, and um, he talks about it a lot. Um, so yeah, it is so good, and it is some of it, the ideas then from that book are repeated in a book I'm about halfway through, called um, Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren, um, a, another ACNA priest. Um, it was CT's book of the year this last year, and it's largely about these ideas about how our habits shape us um, and form us. And it uh, it kind of goes through a day, like waking up through bedtime and just how all these different things. I'm reading the chapter on patience right now, which is just excellent. Um, mm. And she she's quoting Smith all the time. Um, it's good enough. I think it's going to be my present to all my seniors when they graduate as a way for them to think about how the gospel shapes their entire lives and how they need to build habits that shape their entire lives. Um, mm, it's that good. None of them are going to listen to this podcast, so it'll still be a surprise when they get it. But uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's Liturgy of the Ordinary. What was the name of the author? Yeah, Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. Uh, let me make sure I, I said that right, because I would hate to plug a book and then find out later that I said <laughs> the author's name wrong. She's a. I feel like Tracy Russell knows her. Because um, I think okay. she's in, I think she's in Pittsburgh. Oh, um, cool! We should have her on the podcast. We all, oh, we totally should. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tish Harrison Warren. Okay. Um, Liturgy of the Ordinary. It was. It's published by IVP, and it was Christianity Today's Book of the Year last year. So it's wow. It's recent, and it's it's really really good. That's awesome. That's um, awesome. I look so speaking of that. seasons, yeah, Holy Week is coming up, um, and being Anglican. Um, do your students get excited for Holy Week? Are they like iffy about Holy Week? Is it just like, I got to go to church a bunch more times? Yeah. So I don't have a good answer for this question. Some of it is because different kids are in different places, obviously, and that's going to be common to everybody. But one of the things I'm struggling with right now at our church is that our kids are basically the childcare during services. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and, and I, I keep talking about how, you know, this shouldn't be happening, you know, two weeks, any two weeks in a row that our kids need to be in church. And, 
especially since they're older kids, like they're getting ready to head off to college. And what we're teaching them by having them in the nursery every Sunday is that, you know, what happens here at church doesn't really matter. Yeah. And you don't really have to be a part of it. You don't really have to go. And as long as you can like scoot down right at the end and it, get your wafer and wine, you're good to go. Yeah. Um, I've been, I've been trying to say that and we, we've talked about it and we're trying to figure it out. And it's, you know, it's a challenge that we're dealing with as trying to deal with as a, as a church leadership. Yeah. And in, in addition to, uh, as a youth pastor, but so I, I'm afraid that a lot of those kids are just kind of like hunkering down because they know they're going to be, it's going to be like every night for yep. three, four nights. Yep. We got to do childcare for all these, we got a bunch of young families in our church, which is great. Um, so some of them are, are that way. Then like half my youth group don't even go to our church cause they've come to our church through youth alpha. And so they're not even going to know yeah. that Holy week is happening except for the fact that we have Easter Sunday and we won't have youth group. We won't have <laughs> youth alpha on Easter Sunday that, yeah. you know, as far as, as far as I know, you know, they're not even aware that Holy week is going to be happening. Right. Um, and so, so a lot of those other kids that I don't have, I don't have any other connection point with them except for the youth alpha course that started a couple of weeks ago in a lot of ways, Holy week's not going to get much of a mention yeah. in our youth group. So, you know, I'm, again, I'm jumping into confessions early <laughs> um, myself right there, but that's one of the things that's I, I'm struggling with right now as a youth pastor and yeah. trying to figure out that's so core to who we are like Holy week, not just Easter Sunday, obviously yes, Easter Sunday of which each Sunday is, is a little representation, but right. Uh, Easter Sunday, but also, you know, all, all, everything leading up to that. And the, the season, even the season of Lent preparing ourselves for that. It yeah. just hasn't, I haven't had any space to talk about it in my youth group. And I'm, it's, I have guilt about that. It's funny. You say that about that, you know, every Sunday is a little Easter Sunday. It's, I almost feel like, um, at all souls, our Easter Sunday service, you know, it's a little bit different. We've got trumpet, um, the, whoever's the, the celebrant is, will go around with, um, these are with the aspergillium, which is the fancy brush with the water. And you sort of spray it on okay. reminding of their baptism. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, last year I did that at one service and, uh, we don't have any hymn during that time. It's just quiet. And I just walk around and I just douse people with water and everyone kind okay. of giggles and it's awkward. And I got this one like three-year-old who just started crying like right at the beginning because she got wet and she was like, ah, oh. she was, it was a, and then everyone's kind of like chuckling and I'm feeling terrible. Um, yeah. So like everyone look, kind of looks forward to that, but it, it's largely a service that is like any other Sunday. There's a baptism, but we have baptisms other times too. Um, and so it's almost like if you were going to miss one of the Holy Week services, I almost would say miss Easter Sunday because <laughs> you'll celebrate it the next week too. And the week after that, right. like every week you're going to celebrate For this. 50 whole days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we even do, I really like, some churches do the full um, passion narrative on Palm Sunday. Yeah. We don't do that. We just do the, the text up until the end of what happens on Palm Sunday. And we let okay. Good Friday happen on Good Friday, sort of with the anticipation. Okay. Like if you want to hear about the crucifixion, you got to show up on Friday. Holy week is when we go into real time. So you don't get to... You don't get to just yeah. come Sunday and Sunday. If you want to see the crucifixion narrative, you better come on Good Friday. Um, I love that we go into real time. That's a perfect description of it, right? Because we're gonna we're gonna reenact Thursday night. We're gonna yeah. reenact Friday during the day. We're you know that's great. I love it. And I think in some ways for the youth, some youth might not respond well to this, but I think 
Holy Week is one of those times when you play up the weirdness. Like, yeah, when I want to introduce my students to transcendence and otherness in some of the liturgies. And so I want to play it out. I want to be like, this is going to be way different than usual. On Good Friday, we like, we do the thing where people go forward to the cross to pray. Like, I want to, it's Ash Wednesday. You want to say like, you're going to hear all about death. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think on Palm Sunday, we don't even do a confession. Like, because Palm Sunday is the Sunday dripping with irony where you're like, yeah, hail Jesus is king. But actually, these are the people who are going to turn on him. Um, right. And so you like it kind of feels off. I want to play up the weirdness because I want them to feel like church is something different. And this week in particular, we're celebrating what we consider to be the, the linchpin of history. The turning point of the entire created order is mm. this week. And right. so it's different and it's weird. Um and part of that might be how much your church is able to put into Holy Week. Um, right. So I, I went to Church of the Res for a number of years when I was in college here in Wheaton. And they, Holy Week's like a thing. Like it is a yeah. huge thing. Their, um, their uh, why can't I think of the name of the service? The, the vigil. Easter vigil. Yeah, their yeah. vigil is yeah. like a, I mean, production in the best sense of that word. Like it is a whole, very elaborate thing. Um they have they have so many people coming to their Easter vigil that on Saturday they have like a twelve o'clock in the afternoon Easter vigil service because because they they can't get everybody into the evening service. Wow! Um, but noon? That, it, like no, it's, that's it's a just thing wrong. around all of Wheaton. All of Wheaton knows about <laughs> Rez's Easter vigil, and it's no, I, and I've heard about that because we have a number of people in our church out here in LA who who went to Wheaton College. And were a part of Church of the Resurrection while they were there. A lot of them is that's even where they discovered Anglicanism. Yeah. And what they all talk about is the Easter Vigil. And we're even trying to, to bring some of that idea into an Easter Vigil here, at St. Luke's in L.A. But anyway, go ahead. I interrupted. No, no. The um, I remember when I first was there, uh, the first Easter Vigil of theirs that I was at, when they announced the resurrection and their sort of the holy noise, the tintinabulation. Um, I have never like it lasts like four or five minutes because mm -hmm. there is such a joy in the resurrection in that moment. Like everybody is genuinely happy. Like everyone is genuinely excited. It's not a sort of like, now's the time when we ring some bells. It's like a whole right. thing. And I remember that meant a lot. And I know the students at res look forward to, like they have anticipation for the vigil because it's a thing um, because it's so different because they do a party. And I think that's one way Anglican churches can, um, do good Anglican youth ministry with regards to Holy Week is for a chance for these students to experience this celebration, a real incredible celebration. You know, we, we make a big deal about Christmas because our culture makes a big deal about Christmas, but Easter's our, Easter's our day. And so uh, I think, um, I think churches that do that can make a real impact on students' lives because growing up with that kind of a service, there's no way you can not feel the anticipation of the church year through Lent. There's no way you can't sense that God's peculiar people are the people who celebrate and rejoice at this moment. It, mm. It's got to have an impact. Mm -hmm. um, and again, there are lots of other traditions do that. So maybe this isn't uniquely Anglican as opposed to, you know, Catholic or, or Lutheran or whatever. But right. um, I think that's a strength we have. Um, and then, you know, you can get youth involved in the service doing readings for the vigil. Right. And, and right. And that's not a token thing. Getting to read one of those readings, man, right. that's a privilege. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, we we've like I said, we've started to try to do our own version of the Easter Vigil, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, in a church that's like you know one sixth the size of of Church of the Resurrection. So it's yeah. it's you know by necessity looking a little bit different, but but it's also a few years ago, we were trying to decide, okay, how much Holy Week are we going to do? And, yeah. you know, if we do this, what do we have to cut out? And blah, blah, blah. And at some point, we just said, well, what if we just did it all? Yeah. What if we just, like, just said, forget it. It's Holy Week. It's one week a year. It's the most important year in the church calendar. And we're just going to go for it. Yeah. And so, and we, we basically started doing that. And so we have, we have a Monday Thursday service. And then after that, we start a, a 12 hour prayer vigil. So mm-hmm. right after the end of that service and we get people to sign up. So they're praying there all night from like 8 a.m. at 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. Yeah. Uh, and then then on Friday, um, I usually lead uh, Stations of the Cross, um, invite everyone to, to fast lunch and come and do a Stations of the Cross yeah. and, uh, you know, have it set up around the church. And then Friday night we have our. Um, our, our Good Friday service and our choir always, you know, makes a big deal about that and, and mm-hmm. does a lot of uh, music for that. And then Saturday then is is the Easter Vigil, and we're trying to figure out how to make that family friendly. You know, do it at yeah. the right time. But we have a lot of people that are like, but we're celebrating Easter on Saturday night, and that's just not right. Mm-hmm. It needs to be this big celebration in the daylight on Sunday morning. So we're, you know, having to figure out, you know, that's a tradition that we're trying to at least bring the possibility of change to and getting a lot of, so our church does lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff. And I, I'd love to be inviting our youth into that to a certain extent, but uh, you know, I don't have a real, I don't have a space to do that. And I'm, I'm a little jealous of you that you get your students so many times during the week. Yeah. Um, cause right now I, I get, I have one night with them mm-hmm. and that's it. I started doing a couple of things on Sunday mornings, but I get one night with them and you know, it's thus far it's been youth alpha yeah. and it's been great, but it doesn't leave a lot of space for evening prayer or Compline or yeah. contemplative prayer or all these other kinds of things. Yeah. It's um, it, sometimes having parents who force their kids to go makes a difference. Um, yeah. So right. Like we're going to do this and your kids are going to have to come. I think, right. uh, yeah, doing all the stuff, it can be exhausting. And there's a there's a fine line between the kids feeling like, oh, I got to come to all this extra stuff. And like, this is all really important. And there really is a fine line. Um, right. When I started coming to All Souls, we do our vigil. So like the history of the vigil is that you do it all night, right? Like you start right. in the evening. Right. And then at sunrise is when you're, you're announcing the resurrection. But at some point, most churches said, we're just going to turn on the lights at midnight yeah. or whatever yeah. <laughs> and, and do that. Um, and so, and our, so our rector, his background is in, um, in opera in opera directing and stage managing. And then in television after that, um, wow, that's awesome. Set design. So he has got this eye for space. And a couple of times he, he insists, if you're going to fake, like the, the part of the vigil that's important, isn't starting at night. It's ending at sunrise. Like, right. That is yeah. important for him. I so, would agree. And that's that's the complaints we're getting from everyone in yeah. our church. So uh, we we used to a couple of years. We do it in the morning um, at like seven o'clock a.m. Yeah. Um, and you come in and we'd have like curtains up. And then at the announcement, you rip the curtains down and you get sunlight in. That was not he said, like doing day for night, night for day, sort of faking it doesn't work. And so starting a few years ago, we do the vigil and it's pretty pared down. Um, but we do the vigil. um, just, I mean, readings, exultant, um, 
all kind of put together. It takes maybe 45 minutes to an hour. Um, but we do it so that the announcement is at sunrise. So like wow. every year we look up when sunrise is going to be and that moves. And every year I'll sit there in that service and it'll still be dark and it'll be late. And I'll say, Martin, you picked it too early. We made this mistake. And then lo and behold, like the sunrise is at just the right time and it's peeking through the windows at just the right time. And it's, it is beautiful. And not a lot of people come to it because it's hard to get there. Say, yeah. Cause you're starting at like 6am or whatever. Yeah, we right? are often starting at six or six 30. Um, but there, there's something about sort of saying like, we're going to do this right. And if you, yeah. and it, and we're not going to give you a flick on the lights moment, we're going to give you a sunrise. And so if you can I, I do love, it, great. I love that. I love that. I, I want to do that so bad because I, I'm the type of guy, there's, there's a, 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 a Catholic um, monastery not far from mm-hmm. where I, and there's you know a, a few of us go there every now and then for a, a just a spiritual retreat or whatever yeah and what I love like when I went that it's it's Benedictine so they're they're keeping the the liturgy of the hours yeah and you know it's it's not hard to get there for matins and lauds and you know noon yeah mass and compline and evening prayer whatever but the, the one that no one else ever goes to is their Vespers, which is like 6 a.m. Yeah. And, and I just decided, you know what? I'm just going to do this. I want to see what it was like. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was sleepy. I had to like roll out of bed and throw some clothes on so I could get there. But it was something about being there in the dark. And when I was there, it was really cold. Mm-hmm. And but here's these monks. And, and when I got in there at like, you know, five to six, there was like three or four monks that were already in there in the dark, just praying. Yeah. And I was just, I was thanking God for these guys who've just given up their lives to just pray. Like yeah. all they do all the time is just pray. And there's so many of us that think that that feel like that would be such a waste of time. But I was just so blessed by it because yeah. they're not play, praying for Eric, but they're praying for me, the church. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and I know I'm not Catholic, and so maybe you could make an argument that they weren't really <laughs> praying for me. But I was receiving it that they were praying for me, uh, and yeah. I just, it was just so beautiful. And I love that idea that you know what? Yeah, it's going to hurt. There's going to be some pain to it, but God's going to meet us in that sacrifice. And if there's going to be this beauty of you're going to have that moment of of the dawn breaking, yeah, and that have at least an inkling of what it must have been like. For for Mary and Mary yeah. uh, for those women and for Peter to like holy cow, the tomb's empty. Yeah, and that's just, that's so beautiful. I love yeah. that. I, I want to do that so bad, and no one else wants to do it. You know, so it they're all, me, they all think I'm crazy. <laughs> it makes me think. Um, a couple of years ago, I had this idea to to take our all nighter that we would do periodically, um, and I made it a Benedictine all nighter. And so, like the first <laughs> thing we did. You're we did such like a, a nerd. I love that. <laughs> You're such a nerd. That's so great. So here's what we did. We like usually we go to like a baseball game. Like we we meet and go to do some evening activity, uh, or mm-hmm. we go to there's like a speedway nearby with like a dirt track and we watch the cars. We get back. By the time we get back to the church, it's almost midnight. And we started with, I mean, I pared down the the liturgy of the hours to like a short thing. I mean, there's like an opening prayer, like yeah. a psalm that we say. We sing one song, some like open time, and then a closing. Right, like really yeah. short. But I said, like, we're going to do this at, at midnight. We're starting with this. And then I think I had themes like like the, the first time we, we gathered for the like 
at midnight we got prayed for ourselves and then at three we prayed for our community and then at six we prayed for our country or something you know like sort of thematic but yeah then like we're we finish that and we do more games and fun and then at three o'clock like all right let's head up to the to the sanctuary we're going to gather we're going to do this again and we we pray and there's people are kind of into it and then at 6 a.m they're just falling asleep while we do it but like we're going to do this it's time to go up again and if you've got older kids that can be like, all right, guys, we got to do this. They can kind of whip everybody mm-hmm. else. Um, right. But I think there's something really valuable. And this gets to that Anglican thing, to, to Holy Week, to all these rituals that say part of your faith is doing this whether you feel like it or not. Yeah, um, right. I think that's been such a valuable realization for me and my own faith that sometimes going through the motions isn't a negative thing. Sometimes it's the only thing you can do. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's the going through the motions that kickstarts the feelings to happen later. And I think one of the things we can offer to students in an, an age when authenticity is the highest value and like feeling it and being like true to yourself matters so greatly that you can say there's there's what I want to do and there's what I want to do. There's what I want to do in the moment. Like I'm hungry and I want junk food. But we all mm-hmm. know behind it there's a deeper want, which is... I want to be healthy and I'm going to let that deeper want dictate the immediate desire. Mm. And so with our faith, sometimes I want to be the kind of person who prays regularly. I want to be the kind of person who dedicates this time to prayer. And I'm going to let that dictate over my immediate feelings in the moment. And I think there's something super cool about us being able to offer that with all of these rituals and habits as a way to say, you need to train yourself to, to behave on your deeper wants rather than your immediate wants. So yeah. your feelings don't get to dictate these grand questions about life. Because I think a lot of people who fall away from faith probably don't do so because deep down they want to stop believing in God. It's just in the moment God doesn't seem present or God doesn't seem real or something terrible mm-hmm. happens to them and they wonder where God can be in that. And they still have a deeper want to believe in God and to follow him. But because they've been trained to follow their desires in the moment they try to manufacture a, a feeling mm-hmm. and they can't mm-hmm. and then like well this is a bunch of nonsense mm-hmm. um and mm, so that's I, a good word yeah we should let's, uh, let's move into our confessions yeah okay so eric had we, this we, idea <laughs> you can explain it i'm gonna put, throw it on you Basically, so I was calling it Confessions of a Youth Pastor, which could sound incredibly inappropriate. So if (laughs) anyone here is listening and they would have something to confess that would be like really bad, then you need to like turn yourself into the police or something like that. But (laughs) what I mean here, what I mean here is to just create a space for us to talk about the ways that we feel like or we're worried that we're failing as a youth pastor. Yeah. Uh, Things, ways I'm failing my students, ways I'm failing my church, ways I'm failing whatever, and just give some space to to talk through those things a little bit. And I don't know how much time we have. It feels like we've been recording for a while. We have, um, so we'll we'll make it quicker. We'll, okay. we'll get deeper into our sins next next time. <laughs> yeah. So there's a man. Uh, I have a litany of things that I could share, but I'll I'll pick one uh, for now. And one is just that. I feel like I have so many things that I want to teach my students that it's hard. It's hard for me to pick. It's hard. It's so easy to just decide, okay, I need to, do, I need to focus on this topic or I, I need to focus on, 
teaching them the Bible or I need to focus on, you know, teaching them about, you know, serving others and loving others, you know, through the church or, you know, through the things that we do. But I feel like what's what I'm left with is after doing that for a few months, I, I haven't spent any time like so many important things are happening in our society right now that I would love to be speaking into mm-hmm. as as a pastor and giving them a place to have conversations about things like the Me Too movement, things like gun violence, things like LGBT issues, like all of these things. And I, I feel like I get to the end of a youth group and I'm like, yeah, that was a great message and I needed to share that with them. But man, these kids, it's they could there's every chance that they think I'm completely out of touch with anything that's going on in the world. And, uh, you know, but I feel like I, there's so many things for me to do. I don't even know what to do. So I, I, I feel like I'm just epically failing on that. Yeah. I think that's a huge problem. I mean, I, Eric mentioned earlier, I meet with my students three times a week. Um, like we have three weekly programs and I still feel like, oh man, I haven't covered this. Or I, I was meeting with my adult leaders last week, kind of going over our big picture of what we want to have accomplished with each of these students by the time they graduate and thinking like, man, there's all this stuff I want to have taught them before they graduate. And I haven't even covered this. Like we haven't discussed all these different things. Um, and so, I don't know, by by way of my absolution of your, of your <laughs> confession here, um, <laughs> I think, I think, um, the most important thing you can do is teach them how to follow Jesus and get as many opportunities as possible. But if you think about your own spiritual life and think about all the things, all those things that you think are important that they will have learned and try and remember when you learned them, yeah. it probably wasn't in youth group. Um, <laughs> no, it was like last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've learned this thing that you need to know right now. Yes. Um, well, it's because I wish I knew it when I was a senior sure. in high school or, or going into college, like I wish I knew it then. Um, and here's the other thing is that how many things, some of those a youth pastor probably taught you when you were in high school and you forgot it. And then you learned it again absolutely. later. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Or like there'll be this thing that you want to cover. Like you'd want to do a week on the me too movement and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this whole lesson and you plan it. And then like the kids you had in mind that, really would have benefited from this message weren't there for some reason. Right. And then you're right. like, Oh crap. Like I need, right. <laughs> what am I going to do now? Yeah. Um, well, and but this also highlights to me the, the need also like it's, I'm struggling. Be, I'm struggling that my middle schoolers and high schoolers come to youth group together mm-hmm. because my middle schoolers, they're, they're not, I don't even know that they know that the me too movement is happening. Right. I mean, they may, they may generally know that it's out there, but they're not engaged with it as a discussion. Right. Whereas my high schoolers, I think they would, they would honestly, I think have a real discussion about like, what does this mean? What is going on here? Like, you know, they, they'd love to have a discussion about it. And so that's part of me lamenting also that I, I wish I had more time in my life that I could have two different youth group nights or yeah. whatever. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to do some of that, but I would love for there to be a way that I didn't feel like I had to have 150 different meetings. You know, now I've got to meet with each student individually so I can talk about the things that they care about. Uh, You know, some of that's just trying, trying to deal with the reality of, of a church and we want our youth youth group to grow, but with growth comes challenges. Yeah. Um, And it's great that we have all these kids, but now there's other problems that come along with that. It's not all, you know, happy, happy, joy, joy. Yeah. I I think that's a real struggle that, 
you're going to face no matter what. And I think, I mean, the answer is always social media. So you can always just do more on social media, Eric. Um, <laughs> yeah, but the thing I is, love how we, I love how we keep just making side comments about that, like yeah. taking jabs at each other <laughs> about social media as we both are trying to work through our feelings about social media. Yeah, I, I um, sometime we need to just we need to just talk about it directly. Well, we'll so. we'll give a whole episode to that. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a perennial problem. Uh, and you know what? If listeners, if you have great ideas, post on our episode on. We'll probably post this on Facebook on the Young Anglicans Project page. Yeah. So start a discussion there if you. We need you your feedback. Like. We want to know like, are these episodes too long? Yeah. Are, are the topics like of no interest to you? Um, you know, did you turn this off after five minutes because you thought it was boring? Which means yeah. you're not even going to hear me saying this. <laughs> you know, whatever. Like, we would love to know, you know, how you're engaging with these podcasts. Please tell us. Yeah, tell us if they're useful or. Or if they're, they're not useful, don't tell us because I like just talking into a microphone for an hour every yeah. couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, I think no, that's we're not a... going to stop. The, the problem Andrew and I have is that we could sit here and talk literally all day. It's clear to me yeah. that we could sit here and talk literally all day. And we think that you might be interested in listening to us talk to each other all day. But I, anyway. <laughs> our egos are that big, apparently, yes, that we exactly. think you're interested that's in exactly. listening into our conversation. Um, no, I'm just so desperate for conversations like this. Actually, for me, that's what it is for me. I'm so desperate for conversations like this that I could just keep going. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think that's a perennial problem. And I think the way you mitigate that is you do the best you can to to say stuff that needs to be said, to try and put together some sort of longevity plan where you can assess. I mean, that's what I just did this year is sort of saying this is all the stuff I want to have taught. And then every semester say like, okay, which things haven't come up yet? Which things have we not taught yet? Um, to try and do that sort of thing. Um, it's funny. I always imagined, for some reason, I got this picture in my mind that we weren't a heady youth group. Like we weren't a, an overly intellectual youth group. Um, and then I realized like we meet three times a week and talk about different content every single every single week. So yeah, we're a pretty heady youth group. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know why I got that idea. Um <laughs> All right, so we're going to let listeners absolve you as well. My confession, what I think I'm really bad at, is I have all these like grand plans for um, not content, but method. Um, mm. So I'll give you an example. Like I wanted to start introducing, um, talking about rule of life more often, that our students mm -hmm. should have their own rule of life. And I introduced the idea before Advent, and then I've just never said anything about it since. I didn't do a follow-up. I haven't... And so I'm going to start trying to include that in more lessons where I bring it up more often. But I'll have these big ideas. Another one is I want each of my leaders, I got this idea from a different youth pastor, to every time they're at an event, get to a fourth question with their student. So like every leader should get into enough of a conversation with a student that they ask four questions in that conversation. Because at four questions, you've gone beyond just like, how was your week? Um, mm -hmm. You've maybe asked some follow-up questions or... There's another powerful phrase, tell me more, that you can use. Yeah. So yeah. a student says something and you show interest by saying, tell me more, to sort of build those mm -hmm. relationships. And I told my leaders, I'm going to be on your case about this. I'm going to be asking you all the time. And I, I've not done that. I yeah. will leave youth group and be like, I didn't ask anybody a fourth question. <laughs> I didn't do any of that. So I'm starting to try and work on that. We all want to go deeper, right? We all want to go deeper with all of our students. And we yeah. want to like get deep into their lives and know like what's making their, what's, you know, what's churning around in their heart and speak into that and blah, blah, blah. And, and like, the, it's hard. like the seed that fell on, I think it's 
thorny soil, the cares mm-hmm. of this life, the, the cares of programming choke up all my deep desires. Yeah. Um, so I've got, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm showing this on the video. I've got rule of life written down on a sheet of paper and I'm keeping it on my desk that I remember to mention it in my lessons. But yeah. um, I find I have all these big ideas. I know sort of macro level methodology that I should be including in youth group. And then when I do all my actual planning, it's just, it's just whatever pops into my head. Like I just yeah. got to get this lesson done for tonight. Yeah, um, exactly. Right. It, I, I, yeah, I'm with you on that, man. It's tough. It's tough because I have all these grand ideas for what I want my students to receive. And, and then it's just, it's the crisis of the moment. Uh, no, yeah. I have youth group tonight. What am I going to say? Here's a Bible verse. This will be great. We'll have a discussion. Awesome. It's done. I don't have yeah. to think about it anymore. Let's just crank uh, this sucker out, check it off my list and be, and be done with it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't have priestly authority to, to pronounce absolution <laughs> on you, but I'll just say that I'm with you and, uh, you know, ask for Jesus to forgive us about that. Well, that's actually as good of a segue into our closing collect as any, um, Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll, um, we'll keep doing this. If you have ideas of what you want to listen about, we already said it, but uh, please do comment. Send us uh, comments on Facebook. I don't know. We'll probably develop some social media for ourselves mm-hmm. soon. We should. Um, that, sounds like, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to close with Common Worship's uh, Collect for the third Sunday of Lent, uh, and we'll all, you can all go about your regular lives. So let us pray. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Always a pleasure.